Madcap Flare offers cutting-edge technical authoring and publishing capabilities for today's technical writers and content developers with advanced features to maximize authoring efficiency, content reuse, and multi-channel publishing. By combining Madcap Central's cloud-based collaboration, publishing, and content management functionality, authors can improve content quality, gain greater insight into tasks and production schedules, work collaboratively with teams, host content, and automate processes. Madcap Flare and Madcap Central, combining the power of desktop authoring with cloud-based collaboration, publishing, and content management. Learn more at www.madcapsoftware.com. This is the Cherryleaf Podcast. Lovely. So, best way to start it off is if, if you say who you are and yeah. which company you work for. So, I'm Simon Svalos Kuxri. I go by Simon in the English speaking countries. Mm-hmm. I'm the CTO of Sanity, which is in the structured content management system slash headless uh, CMS space. You're in Oslo, in Norway. Yeah, we're in Oslo. We're opening an office in San Francisco next summer, I think. Right now, we're based all of us in Oslo. So one of the things we've covered on our podcast is future trends with technical writing. And I also talked about future trends and structured authoring at a conference recently. And one of the topics that came up was headless CMSs. And there was quite a lot of interest, particularly at the conference, about that. I've got some very basic questions to ask. So I guess the best place to to start with is, what is a headless CMS? Yeah, so I think it makes sense to kind of the concept of headless CMS in, into two because there are, there are kind of two advantages to the kind of systems that we are uh, making. And, and one is that it's about managing structured content. So structured content in our language, it means that you know what each piece of information means. So you don't actually format your content for display. You format it for this kind of knowledge of what it means. So if you have, let's say, a function call, if that's something in your technical documentation, you will model a kind of content type for function calls and you will add all the fields you need to describe the function call. And then later, someone who designs an interface presenting that information can decide how to present that. And that kind of ties into the headless part because the point of these things, the system doesn't have a way to show this to end users. So that's the kind of the headless part that it doesn't have the renderer or template engine. And this, of course, is because we are increasingly moving to a space where people have several heads. They have an app, they have maybe even need to do some print matter. There's a website, maybe there's kind of a different target audiences that have different websites. Maybe you syndicate content to some partners that need to present your content differently. So it's very important in our past life, we were consultants and we started using these kinds of system because we regularly were kind of up in, backed up into a corner because we couldn't solve our clients' problems without redoing their content they ask for something new so that's kind of the point being able to flow your content where it needs to be without actually redoing the content work the content is semantically marked up so what you're marking up is say the version or the locale or the audience that some a piece of information relates to and then the presentation of how it looks and whether it's in a particular font size that's done completely separately Is, is that correct to say Exactly. So, so very often that also means the kind of higher efficiency when making the, the kind of solutions because the content work and the presentation work can kind of evolve next to each other in, independently. But I think that's exactly right. So in a, in a good kind of structured managed content management system, 
you won't have even maybe bold as a concept. You will have like function call or identifier as some kind of a highlight the markup. So we've moved slightly into like, the next question I've got, and that is why choose a headless CMS? What problem is it solving that isn't solved by alternative approaches? The, the kind of the old problem is that you have kind of your modeling or your content is often tied to kind of a specific presentation mode. Like you would have a content type that would be a sidebar or maybe a kind of a video embed or something that's all kind of tied into how it's presented. It's very mm-hmm. hard to kind of repurpose that content for a new kind of context. It can even be impossible if you suddenly have some HTML and you're in, in an app and maybe don't have an HTML renderer at hand. So one thing is very important to kind of keep your content clean and have a system that helps you do that. Then there are a number of systems of the old style that are kind of adding APIs and adding this kind of ability to connect to different uh, heads. But then the, still that thing uh, remains that you need to be able to model your content semantically so that it's kind of robust in terms of maintaining that content for the future and being able to repurpose it or kind of have it evolve with the evolving needs of, of the organization or the users. What is sanity and what comes with it? We provide basically three things. We provide a collaborative real-time JSON database where you mm-hmm. keep your content and we, that kind of helps you distribute your content to your apps or front-ends or heads, so to speak. And then we provide an open-source framework for assembling the editing environment for the editors. So that's a kind of... It's a very easy system. You can kind of set up your CMS front end locally uh, in minutes. And then you're using something like JSON. You describe your content types and your kind of structures and what kind of markup you want in your text. And you can start working. Then the content is st- stored in our cloud service. And the application where you edit it is running locally on your laptop. And then you can kind of deploy that when you're ready. So you do sanity to start off with then. Let me double check, I've got this right, define your information model so that you're saying that you're going to have information about um, the version of a product or the operating system, and you're defining that in JSON. And then once you've done that, you can then locally bring up the editing environment in a browser, and then the writers are presented with screens where there are sections where they fill in the information relating to that that information model or that structure. That- exactly, exactly. So you define a number of document types uh, that could be, let's say, an article or uh, it could even be like a, details on a function call or something like that. And then you describe all the fields, kind of all the data fields that are in those documents. And that's down to even rich text fields that are can be whole kind of <laughs> huge documents potentially. You have a very fine control over what you allow to be expressed in your rich text document. So you even, like which paragraph styles, which kind of markup, and you can even invent your own markup or your own embedded objects. Let's say you want some kind of reference box that kind of pops up in your text to describe some function call or some API call. You can just define your own data type to describe those, and then you can get an easy interface to enter that as part of your text. And then uh, that will be available to the developers and designers to kind of give a shape and form uh, when the document is rendered to the user. Two questions from that. So you've defined your structure, how your model is going to be in JSON. If you want to go back and modify it, so for example, you want to add an extra category so that you have 
let's say you want categories on your articles, like you want an alternative way to search them, for example, and you invent that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you want to add a tag of some sort. How do you change your information model over time to make it relevant to the situation? As long as your kind of new structure is just adding to the old structure, mm-hmm. kind of extending it by adding new fields or new kind of expressive capabilities, basically just going in and adding your fields and you can just start using them and have an API for them immediately. Of course, if you kind of change some existing field, then you, you'll have to, to talk to a programmer to make a migration script probably. Like if you okay. actually, like if you have hundreds of documents with the wrong, let's say you have a category, but you want to go with a set of categories, then someone has to write a migration script. But those okay. are kind of easy for a programmer to do. So the people that are writing the content, so they're writing an article or they're writing a task, an instruct set of instructions or a policy or a procedure, and they they're doing that locally and they hit the save button. Where well, is that information being saved, and what format is it being saved in? Well, you're actually never you never locally with Sanity. So you're always kind of saving to the cloud. Mm-hmm. It's also because it's collaborative. It's a bit like Google Docs. Like you can have your you can have your personal document that you're working on, but if someone else is inside that same document, they will see your changes immediately. That version of the document is of course private in terms of it not being published to the end users yet, but it's shared among the editors. That's important to us to be able to collaborate quickly, of course, but it's also important in terms of having integrations with with kind of uh, automatic systems that are kind of changing the documents. Let's say adding automatic translations or uh, adding categories by AI systems or things like that. So you can actually make systems with Sanity that includes collaboration between humans and machines uh, seamlessly. So you're always online, but not always public. And then that information is uh, stored in our cloud service. And the format there is basically JSON. And then we have a rich text is stored in a format we call structured text, which basically is an array of objects, can be easily transformed into any kind of text that you desire, like HTML, XML, Markdown, whatever. So if you're an author writing the content, you're not writing in HTML, you're writing in equivalent of a rich text editor. You've got capabilities of doing bold and numbers, although actually when it's saved, it's not saved as B-tag. Is that correct? Yeah, you basically we try to make it as as like Word or Google Docs as we can. So you, yeah, you have your bolded lists and your bold and your and then and then all of your custom kind of embeddable objects and highlights that you defined, and those you handle them as intuitively and banally as we possibly can provide it to you. And as you say, that uh, the underlying content uh, model there then is very well-defined object structure that, for example, can't include any HTML. So, you, so like if you were developing an, an app, maybe you're doing an InDesign to print uh, link, there's no danger of there suddenly popping up something that you didn't allow your writers to enter. So if you wanted to publish con- this content as text within the user interface or as a or chatbot text or... Then you will know that there is nothing there that you didn't explicitly put in the schema. Right. Okay. So let me um, throw a scenario at you then. Classic one is policies and procedures where there's usually one manual for everybody in the organization. But the finance manager in Bergen, she's only interested in what's relevant to her and the work that she does. And a developer in St. Consberg, 
might only be interested in the policies and procedures about maybe claiming overtime or managing a project, um, travel expenses, that type of thing. How might a, a headless CMS and a tool like Sanity help in terms of creating personalised content for these different people without having a management issue of having lots of different versions and having to copy and paste across lots of different documents whenever there was a change. How could it help in that sort of situation? Interesting. I'm just trying to imagine uh, the, the structure of the text. So I, I'm guessing there would be kind of chapters and the chapters would be applicable to different roles. And then we could have a document type in this CMS that would describe the different roles. And then for each article or a section, we could add a field where we could refer to these roles. Mm -hmm. And then as the user opens this kind of documentation site or as we print manual for a specific profile of, of users, we could determine their set of roles. And then we would just filter those sections based on the role profile. For an editor, it would be very simple. Like when you make a section, you just kind of add the applicable roles. And then for the presenter, it would just be a matter of of filtering on these roles, determining the roles of the user, of course. And then probably there is some kind of structure implied by the sections. So then you will just kind of reassemble that as a kind of section. I'm guessing they would have stable chapter numbers and such so people can refer to them. So that's basically be a subset of the total index of the whole kind of policy system of the, of the company. Or you could even go lower level. You could even like do paragraphs that have different roles. You could, for example, even you could kind of increase your like your, the versatility of a, of a section by having the section have a superset of roles and mm -hmm. have some of the paragraphs that be even more kind of targeted. Uh, so you say like, this is especially important for the janitorial staff. And then you'll have this kind of uh, alert box be, uh, be highlighted for those roles, but be hidden from the others. So that, there's lots you can play with that. With the... So let me pick up on something you said there. So you... So in the structure, you can, you can at a very granular level, identify different bits of information for different audiences. In terms of how that personalized view appears for the user, you said that the content would be filtered so that they, they only see the information that's relevant to them. Can you tell me a bit more about how that, that filtering works? I think it's based on doing queries of, the API, of an API and then content presented, but... Is that right? Can you tell me a bit more about that sort of filtering so you only see the bits that are relevant to the query or the or what you want to, to know as an end user? Yeah, so we have a, a query language, which is basically, it has similar capabilities to SQL, but it's uh, for a JSON. And there you could uh, you can express stuff like, give me all the documents that are tagged with these roles mm -hmm. and for those uh, articles just give me the title and let's say kind of priority levels because i'm just rendering an index right now so you can kind of you have this language where you can basically assemble the data as you want to pre present it to your end user this is something that we added because we're really tired of for the developers among your listeners uh, when you use REST APIs, you get all, often a lot of uh, API calls. You have to do hundreds of API calls to get all the data you need to display things. So this query language is kind of, it allows you to filter things, to assemble the data, and to kind of give that job entirely over to our servers. So it happens where the data is, and it's really fast. And then we just, over the line, we just deliver what you are ready to present to your end users. So you're building pages on the fly by querying a database and then 
present at least the data for the pages, right? So we don't actually we, don't, we never build the actual pages, but we give you all the data to the page renderer or app or yeah text document renderer. Yes, and that's based on Grok rather than GraphQL, if I remember correctly. We are uh, supporting GraphQL as well. The point is that GraphQL isn't really a gen, it, it isn't really a query language. It's an API uh, format. Mm -hmm. So in terms of uh, having a great uh, GraphQL API, that's about defining your affordance set, what you kind of want your and uh, your kind of API consumers to be able to to do. And th those APIs need to be described in terms of something. So GraphQL is kind of a lower level sibling of GraphQL. So the goal has been that implementing a GraphQL API is basically a transforming your GraphQL queries to Grok queries to the lower level. So the, the, the advantage of Grok is that you can kind of query your data without defining anything else. Like if you add your tags or categories, you can immediately start consuming that data with your Grok API without defining any API. So we, what we've not said yet is where the, the head bit comes from. Sanity is giving you the headless bit, but not giving you the means by which the content is presented to the end user. Where does the head come from? So that has to be provided by a developer. It doesn't need to be like a genius developer. We have samples on our front page where you can download uh, JavaScript and PHP examples uh, that are like rendering websites from the content. I think we have a React native that you can make apps uh, using that. The idea is that CMS itself is technology agnostic. Like if you prefer Ruby or PHP or Go or whatever, or, or your organization kind of have your standards, you can use whatever makes sense to your organization or to you. And we have libraries and examples for the most common uh, languages. But also we have like, we have clients that use uh, our CMS to make pizza recipe book, for example. So they, they basically made their own scripts to transform our data into XML for InDesign. So they could manage their whole content uh, uh, and collaboratively make the book. And then the designers could transform that into their design when they, when both part, when both teams were done. <laughs> so yeah, actually, like we have an, uh, an uh, OMA in the, uh, like the Rem Coolhouse uh, Architecture Agency. They mm -hmm. use uh, Sanity with a PDF render using prints, uh, where they can generate nice coffee table books in minutes to present to their clients. Uh, that's all done from the same data source that powers their website. If somebody wants to go this this route and have this as their their form of uh, authoring, structuring, and, and presenting content. The skills are needed that somebody to understand the information structure, somebody can write clearly, and a developer who knows uh, Vue, JavaScript, Vue, Vue, or React, or JavaScript. Is, are those the main skills? How technical do you need to be? And it, I guess in order to kind of make all of these things work together, including the front ends or the heads, you need to be some kind of developer. Yeah, I mean, we are targeting really everyone from like the garden variety kind of hobby programmer to the kind of alpha JavaScript to the gods of the world. So I think you can get uh, something really uh, productive going with just the kind of basic JavaScript skills and our examples. And uh, kind of most importantly is the ability to think clearly in terms of how to structure your data. I'm guessing technical writers uh, should be like, that should be their main skill anyway, uh, mm -hmm. organizing and structuring their kind of content. And I think this kind of structured data approach really makes sense for technical documentation. I mean, we use it ourselves for our own documentation. Mm -hmm. And I really love the fact that you can, like when you open an article about a schema type, 
in our documentation. That's actually a whole separate kind of object, which has these affordances for field types and uh, defi defining these kind of uh, attributes of mm -hmm. the schema types. So then our goal then is, uh, is to be able to consume the same data structure to make uh, autocomplete tools and stuff, tooling for editors in the future. So we can kind of embed the documentation inside the, the most popular code editors. So that's a very powerful thing to be able to then know what all of your content means and to present it. And like you said, like one thing is to have like voice interfaces. Another mm -hmm. thing is to even be just be able to present that content in the terminal view when someone is asking for it there. I noticed on your website some approaches that you've done for localizing content into other languages and and also um, a system for integrating with a transcription API whereby you can or upload an audio file and then the the, the audio is converted into text and appears within the editing environment within a very short space of time. Can you tell me a bit more about those two particular applications? So we have a, a separate API that's called Listeners, where you could have a kind of daemon listening for changes in the content. So mm -hmm. one thing, I think this particular example, is a daemon listening for audio files being completed, uploaded. And then it, the, those are automatically submitted to this third-party service that actually transcribes the text and then rewrites that back into the document. And as, as I said, it's all real time. So when you have these kind of bots that kind of enrich your data, it's really powerful. As you edit things, you can actually see those things come in as satisfying. I think also Knut made a system that automatically submits text to translation services. And we have a kind of budding partnership with a company that has this army of expert actual human uh, translators mm -hmm. that also can be driven by an API. So you can kind of farm out the translation work automatically uh, and have that provisioned. The, the, the moment you kind of hit you signal that an article is ready, it will be submitted to this kind of a group of translators. And then you could even kind of combine those approaches so you could kind of immediately make the ma makeshift translation using uh, Google Translate or something like that, and then uh, have a human come over and, and kind of go, th go through it and, and make sure it's good later. We think that's kind of our next big push is to to add all of these kind of automatic integrations to enrich content, to categorize and extract uh, entities and kind of make it very powerful to search and, and, and kind of help editors organize their information without doing too much manual work. And in terms of search and linking and presenting related topics for a particular page, how is that side of things done? Within. That's all very explicit in our system. So you have a thing called the references. So a document can reference another document. And our query language knows how to kind of follow these references and expand objects based on that uh, those references. So, so you could, for example, have a, an explicit list of related articles or topics on a document. And when you render that, you can go and fetch the titles and URLs of those documents and show that as related content. You could also do something like the topical tags and then look for other articles that have those kind of overlapping tags and, and present those. Uh, what we don't do yet is kind of this uh, AI based on kind of extracting uh, embeddings or something like that from the text and then automatically discovering uh, similar topics. But that's something we will we'll add and it will be like if you have a provider that, that does it, you can easily integrate that. So if somebody wanted to explore and look at implementing a headless CMS, how would they go about choosing which one to use and what would be the starting point? So if you go to headlesscms.org, there's like a list of hundreds of, no, tens, fifties of uh, headless CMSs. I did a count um, this morning, it's about 70. <laughs> 70, okay, good. Yeah, tens, so yeah. 
so it's not too much. Uh, there are, of course, some kind of some some of these are uh, like graph CMS sanity contentful, and I'm thinking of contently rhythmic are some some of those kind of most kind of visible in the field. Of course, I would recommend ours, but uh, the reasons for that is that. Uh, and these are kind of general rules that I think everyone should look for. That's one thing is that you should make sure that people can't, like, for example, a problem with the Contentful is they use Markdown still, I think, for their textual content as the kind of main model. And that's a very limiting text format. It doesn't allow you to kind of signal that something is code or something is specifically a, a kind of a content apart from the things that are in Markdown. And it allows for HTML. So it's kind of dangerous. So I would make sure that the, the, whichever I chose, they have a great API and they have this ability to make sure that all of their data are semantically marked up by the editors. Mm -hmm. and the other thing I think is important is that you should be able to structure, like it's nice that it's fast to start with and it's easy to, to define your first structures, but you should really make sure that as your needs evolve and as the kind of the solution grows in importance, you should be able to make changes to how the interface works, to how the kind of editor workflows, uh, to be able to integrate to third-party systems, to kind of have control of the experience. Because that's one thing that kind of led us to develop Sanity in the first place was that we, in, initially we wanted our clients to have structured data because we had moved to microservices for all our other stuff. So we, when we added content to our solutions as consultants, we wanted that to work the same, that presentation should be independent of, of content. Mm -hmm. But then uh, the next part was that when these kind of systems started to appear, we realized they were all kind of locked in cloud services, which very hard to modify for us. So as mm -hmm. kind of, we couldn't recommend to our clients to use those things because when they ask us for specific things, like someone wanted to kind of to have a specific type for molecules and they wanted that to be previewed and to be able to, to pick a kind of perspective to render that molecule. Someone else just wanted an autocomplete that would always have the kind of most famous architects in the organization turn up to the, at the top of the search. But these things we need to, as consultants or as kind of organizations, we need to be able to, to do that. So that's another thing I think is really important. That the one thing is that the content is actually structured and that you have actual control over everything, even down into the running text. And also that you can kind of modify and adapt editing experience to how your organization thinks. Thank you, uh, Simon. It would be lovely. Thank you. Bye-bye.